Would you finish this prayer with me by praying the prayer you'll see on the screen, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father. Um, if you have Catholic friends, they often refer to this prayer as the Our Father prayer. The other night I woke up from a dream in which I was trying to get home, but had left my car somewhere and was having trouble finding it. <clears throat> so after I found it, I, the dream kind of transitioned and I was riding a strange bicycle on the sidewalk, but there were lots of people milling around and I was having trouble getting through. And then a man of Middle Eastern descent was trying to get my attention and tr trying to ask me something. So I had to stop and talk to him and I was only a block away from my home. 910 Lake Avenue, Elyria, Ohio. That was the house where I grew up. And when I dream, if I'm headed home or am at home, it's usually that home. I haven't lived in that house for many decades. I haven't even been in that house since my mother died there in 2002. I've lived on Lockwood Road much longer than I ever lived on Lake Avenue. But in the recesses of my mind, that house remains home. Most of our views, well, not really our views, the, the mental lens through which we view everything, including ourselves, is pretty much shaped by the time we're 10 years old. Now, that lens can get scratched, cracked, even broken, but it's still the one we're looking through years later, when we're 70, 80. How we look at the world around us, the friends near us, the enemies against us, and the God above us is largely governed by those early years. Our first 10 years have a lot to do with whether we see life as an opportunity or a trial. Earth as a safe place or a war zone. God as a father to be trusted or a bully to be avoided. That last one is what we want to think about on this Father's Day. If you were not able to trust your dad during those first years of life, it'll be harder to learn to trust your Heavenly Father. Your dad can make it easier or more difficult to trust God. More difficult, but not impossible, for God himself will help you. If you are a dad with children at home right now, you are making it easier or more difficult for them to trust their Heavenly Father. What a responsibility it is to be a dad. My own dad, like most people's dads, I think, made it both easier and more difficult. Um, he made it easier because I learned from him that a father protects his family. 
I could have walked through a dark alley on the wrong side of our town without fear, as long as he was with me. That's going to make it easier someday when I walk through the dark valley to do it without fear. During my time on Lake Avenue, my dad stopped two robbers. He uh, ended a murderous fight between strangers. He gave me every reason to believe and no reason to doubt that he could handle anything that came our way. Uh, when the 1965 tornado, tornado struck here, a tornado all but wiped out a small town about 13 miles south of us. And it bore down menacingly on us. You guys got it earlier in the day. We got it later in the evening. But I wasn't afraid because my dad wasn't afraid. I never doubted he could keep us safe. Nothing from the outside world could threaten me while my dad was there. And that makes it easier now for me to believe that God can shield me from danger. But with my dad, the danger didn't come from outside. It came from him. Uh, would he be angry? Would I feel his displeasure? He could be fun. He could also be furious. Most of us have things to unlearn regarding the fatherhood of God, as well as things to learn, and to learn deep, right into our souls and our bodies. The person to teach us is Jesus. He opened people's eyes to what God is like in many ways, but none more important than this, that God is Father. Jesus was always saying Father. He said, my Father, our Father, your Father, and even Abba, uh, a child's name for Father. The four Gospels have the word Father on the lips of Jesus 156 times. 156 times. Compare that with the entire Old Testament, which is 10 times as long as the Gospels. No one in the Old Testament ever addressed God in the first person as Father. And references to God's fatherhood while they're there are few. 14, if I remember correctly. You know what the first words were from Jesus' mouth as recorded in the Gospels? While you're trying to remember that, I'll give you the backstory. Jesus is 12 years old. The Passover festival is a wonderful, deeply meaningful, and yet often tumultuous time had just ended, and tens of thousands of people were leaving the city. When his parents realized that neither of them knew where Jesus was, they panicked, and they started looking for him. They went to the temple and found him sitting with a group of religious scholars talking his mother said, in effect, son, we were worried sick. How could you do this to us? And Jesus answered, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? First words recorded in the Gospels. I'd be in my father's house. He knew God as his own father, and he wants you to know God in that way, too. In all extant Jewish literature, from the beginning of Judaism until 10 centuries after Jesus, no one else ever addressed God in the first person as Father. No one. Yet Jesus told us, his followers, 
to address God in that way. Jesus knew something about God other people didn't know. Today in certain segments of the church, and really over the past 30 years, people have urged us to stop calling God Father because they think that it is sexist and misleading. They want us to use gender neutral or gender inclusive language when we speak to or about God. And so in some circles, the Lord's Prayer, which we prayed a few moments ago, begins this way. Our Father, Mother, who art in heaven. Now that practice is based on, I understand, it's based on the idea that the use of father language evolved over years very naturally in a patriarchal culture and takes part in that culture's prejudices. And there may be truth in that, but that's not the whole truth. I believe the biblical father language didn't evolve naturally, it emerged supernaturally as part of divine revelation if using father language for God was such a natural thing in a patriarchal culture, why did no Jew besides Jesus do it for over 2,000 years? Jesus' understanding of God was revolutionary. He is father. He revealed God to people as no one ever has. God is our father. Jesus told us something no other Jewish teacher ever taught, to begin our prayers by saying, Father, Abba. That may be difficult for you. It may be difficult because your relationship to your own dad was strained, or maybe non-existent. You may need to unlearn a few things in order to learn new ones. You may need to unlearn some things that are deep in you. Let's look at what Jesus taught us about our Heavenly Father. And the first thing is, our Heavenly Father gets us. He gets you. He understands you. You know, sometimes our biological parents don't really know us. They think they do, but they don't. They make the mistake of imputing their characteristics, their interests onto us, and they treat us as if we were just younger versions of themselves. So, I like fishing, so of course you like to fish. Of course you do. Have you ever had your parents say that? Of course you do. And you're thinking, no, I don't. You're, you're not serious about joining the Marine Corps. That's the craziest thing I ever heard. Or you're going to be a doctor. Uh, that's the one I heard. You've wanted to be a doctor since you were five years old. No, I didn't. Well, of course you did. But our Heavenly Father knows us. He gets us. He knows us way better than we know us. He knows when we are wrong about who we are. He perceives, said the psalmist, he perceives my thoughts from afar. He's familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, he knows it completely. Jesus put it this way, your father knows what you need before you ask. And he knows what you need because he knows you. Inside and out, past and future. The father knows us. Jesus said he even knows the number of hairs on our heads. I'm making it easier and easier for him as time goes by. He knows what goes on underneath those hairs. He knows what we think what we need, what we're going to say. 
Now that idea that he knows everything about us might be a little unsettling. I certainly didn't want my dad knowing everything about me. I generally thought the less he knew, the better. The, the atheist author Christopher Hitchens put it this way. I think it would be rather awful if it was true. He's saying if God, the God of the Bible exists. If there was a permanent, total, round-the-clock, divine supervision and invigilation of everything you did, you'd never have a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death. And then he adds, it would be like living in North Korea. <laughs> It'd be like living in North Korea if God were our dictator but not if God is our Father. See, God not only knows us, knows everything, the good, the bad, the shameful about us, he loves us. He is not our dictator in heaven, but our Father. In the upper room, a few hours before his arrest, Jesus assured his disciples that the Father himself loves you. Those were his words. The Father himself loves you. We often read over that and don't recognize the extraordinary nature of that claim. God not only knew about these 12 ordinary guys, the God who made heaven and earth and rules the universe, not only knew about them, he knew them and loved them and was committed to securing a blessed life for them. Here's something else Jesus knew about his father. His children can always go to him. He's always available. He's always approachable, even after they've messed up. The story Jesus told in Luke 15 are the stories, and we'll go into that passage later in this series. It's a, it's a great example. The father Jesus taught is like a dad whose son walked away from, from their relationship, walked right out of his life. And then the son got himself in trouble, and he came back to dad only because he had nowhere else to go. And the father was delighted to see him, hugged him, threw him a party, no recriminations, no lectures. See, you can always go to our heavenly father. Some, some days for me the, are, are full of interruptions. Some days aren't, some days are. And some days I'm trying to get work done. I'm working on an article or I'm working on a sermon or a Sunday school lesson. <laughs> And it's just one thing after another, one call after another, until I wish that phone would never ring again. And of course, it rings again, but this time it's one of my sons. And I'm anxious to pick it up. I'm delighted. God is like that. He loves it when his kids call. He doesn't let their calls go to voicemail. Jesus tells us something else about our father. He's someone we can respect. There is nothing more disheartening, more damaging to a child's heart 
than for that child to learn that his dad is not respectable. To discover that one's dad is not truthful or is lazy or is unfaithful or is a coward can wound a child's heart deeply and for life. But Jesus revealed to us a heavenly father who is worthy of all honor, of our deepest respect. He tells his disciples, and that includes all of us who've come to Jesus to learn from him. He taught us to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. The heavenly father that Jesus knew is not one of those divorced dads who's always trying to buy his kids' affections. He's not a disconnected dad who's out doing his own thing. He is a father who loves his children and wants, who insists on what's best for them. He is not willing to let his children disrespect each other or him just so that he can get a little peace and quiet. He will not turn a blind eye to their wrongdoing. He will discipline them. As the proverb has it, and the author of Hebrews repeats it, the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. See, he's a father you can be proud of. Jesus also showed that God is a strong father. He's fearless. There is nothing he can't handle. Jesus' way of putting it was, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It can't be done. Yes, it can. During his own dark night, he prayed, Father, everything is possible for you. Everything is possible for you. That was his starting point. He knew his father could handle anything. He's that strong. On another occasion, he said, my father is greater than all. Doesn't that sound like the boy on the schoolyard who's saying, my dad can beat up anybody else's dad, everybody else's dad. My dad is the best of all. Jesus revealed a God whose ability we need never doubt. If we fail to understand that our father has the ability to do whatever is needed, we'll worry ourselves sick or we'll wander off into some error trying to make things right on our own. Jesus once said to the Sadducees, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. How often that's the reason we fall into error too. We don't know the scriptures. We don't know the power of God. But knowing that God is able is not the same as knowing that God is willing. Knowing that he can help us is not the same as knowing that he will help us. And what makes this difficult is he may not help us in the way we desire. In fact, he will not help us in the way we desire when a better way to achieve our fulfillment as his glorious children is available. Jesus, on the eve of his crucifixion, wanted his father's help to escape the cross. Such help was not forthcoming. Instead, the father helped him endure the cross and scorn its shame as he reached for the joy set before him. 
Now, let that sink in for a moment. The Father said no to the eternal Son. When that happens to us, we must be able to do what the eternal Son did, entrust ourselves to the Father knowing that he is good and his way will work out for what is best. Jesus knew that about his Father, and that's why he could say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You know why Jesus could trust his Father even when his Father didn't do what he so badly desired? Because he trusted him 10,000 times before. Do you know why Jesus on the cross could commit his spirit to his Father with confidence? Because he committed himself to the Father so many times before. He knew from experience that his Father always heard him. I know you always hear me. He put himself, the incarnation is Jesus putting himself in the place of reliance on his Father. That's pretty much what we always try to avoid. But there's no other way to learn to do what Jesus did. To do what he did, we have to know the Father that he knew, that he knows. So let me ask you, do you know God as your Father? I know this might be tough for some of you. But this Father is loving committed, joyful, strong, good. There's a journalist, a professor, University of Illinois named John W. Fountain. Before he was, uh, before he was teaching at Illinois, he was a kid growing up on the west side of Chicago. When he was four, he watched the police lead his dad away in handcuffs in the middle of the night. And his dad disappeared from his life. After John Fountain lost his biological dad, he found his heavenly father. His mom was a believer. His mom helped him. But it wasn't just his mom. He says God warmed him on those days when he could see his breath inside their freezing apartment, when the gas was disconnected in the dead of winter and there was no food or hot water and very little hope. He said God was the father who spared him when other boys in the neighborhood were being swallowed up by death and hopelessness. God was the father who claimed him when he felt like he was no man's son. Fountain says, I believe in God, God the Father embodied in his Son, Jesus Christ. The God who allowed me to feel his presence whenever I found myself in the tempests of life's storms, telling me, even when I was told I was nothing, that I was something, that I was his, and that even amid the desertion of the man who gave me his name and DNA and little else, I might find in him sustenance. I believe in God, the God who I have come to know as Father. 
Abba, Daddy. He writes, it wasn't until many years later, standing over my father's grave for a conversation long overdue, that my tears flowed. I told him about the man I had become. I told him about how much I wished he had been in my life. And I realized fully that in his absence, I had found another. Or that he, God the Father, God my Father, had found me. Have you begun to know God as your Father, the wonderful Father who will never leave you nor forsake you? The way to know God as Father is to trust Jesus as Lord. He said, no one comes to the Father except by me. Not because God doesn't want everyone, but because Jesus is the only one who knows how and has the ability to bring us to God. The only one who's able to help us experience God is our Father. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray. Whether you count yourself a Christian or not, or you don't know exactly what you are, I, I want to urge you to become a student of Jesus. He can teach you to live meaningfully, love powerfully, and relate personally to the God of the universe. And he can do more than teach you. He can help you. But the first step is to come to him. So Christian or not, will you venture to become his student and learn from him? If you don't know how to do that, call me up. I won't let you go to voicemail, and we'll talk about it. But before we talk about it, would you talk to him about it? Would you tell him, I want to learn from you what it is to be God's child? Thank you for hearing our prayers. You are a good father. Amen.